Hello, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Horizon Church in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We want to help people connect with God and connect with each other. If you'd like to know more about us, you can go to our website at horizonconnect.org. Enjoy. I'd like to follow along in your Bibles. We're going to read from Ephesians. Now, we'll put it up on the screen what we read, but if you're a note taker and follow along, you can grab it and find the book of Ephesians. I don't know a page number, but you can find it in your Bible three quarters of the way through. So. Alrighty, hey, let's, uh, let's pray together, all right? Let's pray and then we'll, we'll move on. God, we want to thank you for the fact that you've promised to be present with us whenever we get together. And God, I don't think getting together digitally uh, messes with you and that promise in any way. I don't think that you're caught off guard by the fact that we have to meet this way, some people here and many people scattered. I thank God that you still are present with your church, not just our church, but churches that are scattered and meeting all over the world, churches for whom meeting together has, has always been a difficulty. Um, sometimes churches have a difficult time meeting because of government restrictions or fear or persecution, God, that still goes on. And um, sometimes, God, it just means that we're struggling with uh, things like this pandemic, and it's hard for us to meet together. But, God, you are faithful in keeping your promises, and so we trust, God, that you are not locked in this building right here, but that you're present in your people, all of us together. And I'm so grateful that I can trust that to be the case, that when we talk here whether people are in this room or whether we're connected digitally, um, you still are at work through what we talk about, and I'm grateful. God, I do want to ask, I think every teacher has a burden for truth, and especially when we teach the Bible, there's this burden we have for being faithful to it. And I know very well how easy it is to get off track or to find ideas that might be more about me than about you. So God, I want to ask one more time, that when we talk about your word, that you'll guard what we say and what we hear. I pray, God, that you'll keep anybody from being influenced the wrong way if I say anything that's not true. On the other hand, God, thank you for how you take truth. You invade our minds and our bodies and our souls and our spirit. You're in the process of transforming us into the people you want us to be. And I pray, God, that you'll do that today for me and for all of us, that you'll be shaping us into your people. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a, there's a pastor that I know. Only, I only know him through um, his books and through messages that I listen to online. Um, he actually recently retired, but he told a story that he promises is absolutely true about a family friend, a friend of the family, um, who some time ago changed his middle name. Now, I do not know anything about this guy. I don't know what his middle name was before he changed it. I don't know his first name. I don't know his last name. I know nothing about him. All I know is that when he changed his name, he changed his middle name to the name Danger. Um, that is, you heard that right? D-A-N-G-E-R. That was his middle name, Danger. Now, Pastor John, um, the, Pastor Orberg, John Orberg is the guy that told this story, said that the reason that he changed his name, this family friend changed his name, is because the guy got to middle age, um, which middle age goes up to, at this point I know it goes up to like at least 70. Um, 
but um, the guy got to middle age and um, he did not like his middle-aged life. He did not like who he was. He did not like his boring play. It's safe, compliant, never take a risk. Uh, wallflower, always Mr. Nice Guy life that he was living. And uh, he was frustrated that he'd never been able to be anything else but that boring, compliant, always Mr. Nice Guy kind of person. So we started thinking, you know, maybe if people start if, if I change my middle name, and maybe if people start calling me by my middle name, Mr. Danger, he thought maybe that would help change my life and change would happen. Now, for those of you who, uh, who know anything about the legal profession, you might know that changing your name is not an easy thing. It's not instant. You don't just decide to change your name. There are several um, legal loopholes you have to jump through. And often it requires at least two very short kind of rubber stamp visits to a courthouse. This guy did that. He went through both of those. And on his final, his second and the last visit to the courthouse, at which time his name would become official and he would become so-and-so danger, uh, he was last on the docket for the day. And the people who were on the docket directly in front of him, two guys, um, there was some kind of dispute between the two of them. And when they were standing before the judge or whoever it was on this occasion, uh, the two of them got into a shoving match, that, uh, a shouting match that turned into shoving each other. And of course, security immediately got called. The two got pulled apart and they got escorted out of the courtroom, out of the courthouse. So after they got called out, finally, this guy gets called before the judge. Very simple. He gets summoned. They do whatever they needed to do. His name got stamped, and he finally now has a brand new middle name, Danger. Now, he is leaving the courthouse, and before he walks out the front door, he got stopped by security, and the security said, hey, there's two guys out there that got into a brawl in the courtroom, and of course, we know who they were. They got into a brawl, and he said, they're out there having a very bloody fist fight, so you can't go out the front door because it's dangerous, at which point, this guy straightened his back. And he said, it's okay, because my middle name is Danger. Now, John swears that that is absolutely true. And I don't know about you, but I'm really glad it is a true story. Because maybe finally, maybe that's the secret. Maybe that's our great hope. That the personal change we are all looking for is simply a name change away. Change a name, and I'm a different me. Because I know that, like me, many of us are disappointed with ourselves and who we are. Sometimes I'm disappointed with how much time I can waste looking at a screen. By now, it's added up to days and weeks and months of wasted time, wasted life I will never get back. Sometimes I'm disappointed with how contented I can be to just be by myself. Sometimes I know that some of you will end up in trouble or have a problem, and I will think, I should make a phone call. But then I think, well, that's going to mean a conversation, and it might mean work. 
and I don't have the energy for another person right now. So I'll do it tomorrow. And tomorrow, of course, turns into days and weeks. And eventually so much time goes by that I'd be embarrassed to call, and so I don't. Sometimes I'm disappointed that I haven't gotten any better with things like prayer. Sometimes I'm disappointed that I was not a better dad and I'll never get another shot. Sometimes I'm disappointed that I don't know God better than I do and sometimes I wonder if I even know him at all. Sometimes I look at my wife at her graying hair and I am immediately humbled that this woman hitched her entire life to mine, her one and only life, and she connected it to me, and she deserves so much better. If only the person I long to be was only a name change away. If only. Sometimes my disappointment is not only about me, sometimes it's about you. Sometimes it's about Horizon Church. Because for all of our grace and all of our love and all of our wonderfully beautiful moments, sometimes. You know, there's a verse that most of us learned in Sunday school those of us who grew up in Sunday school, it's a verse we learned back when we were still struggling to color in the lines with our crayons. And we learned this verse, we learned to call it the golden rule. It's a verse that is kindergarten simple, treat other people the way you want to be treated. And yet sometimes I see people who have been in church all of their lives, decades and decades and decades and decades, Bible study after Bible study, prayer meeting after prayer meeting, and we don't seem to have learned what was so simple in kindergarten. We can't seem to find the grace to give to another person that we want for ourselves. Sometimes. If only. There's a lesson that Jesus taught, and he taught it two different ways. And you could call this lesson, lesson number one in solving problems with another human being. Jesus said that in the church, he said it two ways. If someone has hurt you or you have hurt someone else, Lesson number one, very simple. You go to the person that's hurt you immediately without involving anyone else and you attempt to solve that problem. And yet, how often do bombs explode in the church? Among families, on social media. Because we have gone to everyone else first and not to the person at all. 
sometimes. If only the people that we long to be was just a name change away. If only. Do you know what the benefit is of having time? Time away on a horse. Six or seven hours of sitting on a horse named Bruce on that slow side-to-side gentle rock back and forth when you have six or seven hours to do nothing but look around and think. And then 64 hours in a car. 64 hours in a car with nothing to do but check off state after state after state and think. Maybe for the first time since March, I got to think long and hard about the question, what would happen to the church if we lose Sundays? Now, we won't, of course. They'll eventually be back. But would the church still be in business if we lose Sundays? What would we do? What would be the business of the church if it was not putting together a Sunday show every seven days? Do you know what it is? Do you know what is the business of the church of Jesus Christ? The redemption of human beings. Body, mind, spirit, and soul. The redemption of human beings. I want to show you something. This is an idea from God, and it's one of my favorite places in the Bible. I go back to this place again and again. It's a very rich section of verses comes from a letter, and the author of this letter in the Bible wrote this. God saved you and me by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. Now, for just a couple minutes, I want to show you something from that verse. And I'm actually going to ask you to pay attention to just two different words that mean a whole lot in understanding those verses. And the first, ver- the first word is the word masterpiece. Now, we've talked about this before, so this may be familiar to any of you who've been around Horizon for a while. The word masterpiece, this letter was written in ancient Greek, and the word masterpiece in Greek is the word poiema. And if you're looking at it on the screen, you can probably see it's where we get our English, 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 the word we say, 
Can you see it? Poem. It's where we get our English word poem. And in Greek, that word poema means a work of art. That's why in English, when we translate it, we don't write poem. It's why we write the word masterpiece, because it's a thing of beauty. It's the achievement of which a person or a being is most proud. It's the work that a person does that when he or she finishes it, they stand back and they look at it and they think, I don't think I could ever do better. This is my masterwork. This is my masterpiece. And I want you to notice if you're looking at that scripture, what is God's masterpiece? We are. We are. Or to be more correct, that's what God is doing and making. We, you and I, are the master work of God. Which means in all of creative history, when you look at all the beauty of creation, there is nothing that is more grand more glorious, more beautiful than a human being who is being redeemed. We are God's masterpiece. Now, there's a second word I want you to see, and this word is going to help understand that first word. It's the word created, which is in the very next sentence. In fact, it's just a few words away from the word masterpiece. It's the word created. Now, that word created that appears there in that scripture, that word comes directly from Genesis chapter 1. First sentence of the Bible, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Now, you will think, well, then this is going to be very simple, but it shall not be. So I want you to give me a couple minutes, which means whether you're here at home You're invited to put your feet up, take a sip of coffee, and get yourselves ready to be plugged in for a couple minutes and follow along, because this is important. Now, it's absolutely true, it is true, what we often say about creation, that the Bible says that God created out of nothing. God did not start with any kind of a Betty Crocker instant earth kit. He started with nothing. However, that is not where Genesis starts. When you read the book of Genesis, after that first sentence, God created the heaven and the earth, the very next sentence does not say that God started with nothing. It actually tells us what God started with. The second sentence of Genesis, and this is very easy to find, it's the first page of the Bible if you want to go there yourself. The second sentence of Genesis says this, now the earth was formless and empty. Formless and empty are two very old ancient words that mean chaos. Chaos. The word formless means 
that God started with this wild, jumbled up mess, like a pile of Legos mixed with thumbtacks and dynamite and pepper flakes and rust all mixed together. It means there was no order, there was no structure, there was no shape. It was just a formless mess. The word empty means that that formless mess was a wasteland. It was barren. It was lifeless. And what you find when you start reading Genesis chapter 1 is that when God starts the work of creating, that he's actually dealing with the chaos that he started with. And what he is doing is he is bringing order to the chaos And he brings order to the chaos by dealing with the formlessness and the emptiness. He first of all gives form and structure and shape to creation. And then he deals with the emptiness by filling it. And you can see this in that beautiful poetic image in Genesis chapter 1. When first of all, he gives form to dark and light and then he fills the empty dark and light with the sun and moon and stars. And then he gives form to the water and the sky, and he fills the water and the sky with fish and birds. Then he gives form to the sea and the land, and he fills the sea and the land with animals and humans. So Genesis chapter 1 is this beautiful, majestic picture of how God creates, and he does it by taking chaos and then bringing order to it. Does that make sense? If not, don't admit it because I'm not going back and doing it again. Just shake your heads and say, yeah, it makes sense. That's what God does when he creates, brings order to the chaos. That is literally what the word created means in Genesis. It doesn't mean from nothing, although the Bible says he did. The word created, whether it's in Genesis or whether it's in Ephesians chapter 2, the word means to bring order from chaos. So in Genesis chapter 2, I'm sorry, in Ephesians chapter 2, when the Bible says that you and I, we are God's masterpiece, he has created us anew. That word created means not that God is starting with nothing. It means that God is starting with something. That's the definition of the word. God is taking the chaos of our lives and bringing order to it. And that's what a masterpiece is. To take something that is disordered and a mess and bringing to it beauty and order. And do you know why this is important? Because when it comes to human beings, the masterpiece that God originally made has been defaced and marred and ruined. You know, I don't understand human beings entirely, but there's something about human beings. For some reason, I will never understand. Human beings have a desire to ruin great works of art. And it happens all the time. Uh, Do you know, for example, the Mona Lisa? Do you know that the Mona Lisa has been damaged at least a dozen times in its history? The worst two, one was in 1956 when a tourist threw a vial of acid on the Mona Lisa and damaged it. 
And then the second time it happened in 2009, not all that long ago, when a tourist bought a souvenir coffee mug uh, in, in, the, in the souvenir shop, ironically showing the Mona Lisa. And then that tourist took that mug and threw it at the Mona Lisa, breaking the glass and breaking off chips of paint on, on her shoulder, on her elbow, her shoulder, on her elbow. You could Google this, Google uh, defaced works of art, and you'll discover that there are dozens and dozens and dozens of paintings that have been slashed with knives or had things thrown at them. One of the most famous attacks on a masterpiece happened in 1972. Some of you will remember this. This is, the, this is Michelangelo's masterpiece, the Pieta. Uh, I, I know I didn't say that right, but I don't care. Um, it's Pieta or Pieta? Pieta? Anybody know Italian? Good, you don't either. So I said it right. Uh, Pieta. It's Michelangelo's 500-year-old masterpiece showing Mary, the mother of Jesus, holding the body of Jesus. And in 1972, uh, some deranged tourist hopped over a railing with a hammer and was able to take 12 swings at this masterpiece before he was stopped. The guy was able to hammer off her nose, break her nose off her face. I know the pictures aren't great, um, but damage uh, her head and uh, break off an eyebrow. He managed to break off her left arm and break off her hand and smash it to pieces before he was stopped. And I don't know what it is about human beings that would make us want to ruin a masterpiece. But we all have. We all have. God's masterpiece has been defaced and marred, we human beings. Some of that marring is absolutely horrendous. Little boys and little girls who are murdered or trafficked or abused or abandoned. Is there anything worse? Is there anything worse than the harm that people do to children? Some of that marring is what we do to ourselves with our addictions, our greed, our selfishness, our appetites. Some of that marring and defacing is what we do to each other with our gossip, our lying, our cheating, our affairs. Now, that's just five sentences, five sentences about how God's masterpiece has been defaced. I don't think I need any more than five. Five is enough. We human beings have hurt ourselves and each other so openly, it's not even a secret. We see it on our screens every single day. God's masterpiece has been marred. And yet, here is the thing about each one of those masterpieces that have been defaced from the Mona Lisa to the Pieta. Each one of them have been carefully and expertly restored. So carefully and so expertly that you could get within an inch and you would never know. People who are experts at the redemption of masterpieces 
have fixed what was broken, and it was not easy, and it took years, but it worked. What was broken has been redeemed. And this is the business of God. God is right now, today, right at this moment, bringing order from chaos, making redeemed human lives. From the chaos of our lives, he is bringing order. From what was defaced, he is making beauty. From what was broken, he is making whole. From what was tired, he is giving us rest. From what was lonely, he is showing us love. From what was angry, he is giving us peace. From what was bitter, he is giving us hope. From what was blind, he is giving us sight. From what was lost, he is making us found. God's masterpiece is a human life redeemed. And this is the business of God in history. And if it's the business of God, then it is the business of the church. Sundays or not, the church is in the business of redeeming human lives. Now, there's a reason that God redeems human beings, and it's back in that scripture verse. It says this, that he created us anew. He does this. He creates us anew in Jesus Christ so that we can do the good things he planned for us to do long ago. Now, here's the thing. How many of you look at that and you think, well, God has a to-do list for me. God has things for me to do. This is not a trick question don't be afraid to answer. That's the way I read it. God has a to-do list for me. Do you ever have a to-do list to do? I usually start my mornings with a to-do list. This is my to-do list from Friday morning. To-do lists are not generally very exciting things. On Friday, I only got to check off three of the items in my to-do list uh, because several of the things I needed to do involved running errands that I never got to do. Mainly, one of the things I had to do is I had to go to Costco and pick up supplies for church. So my to-do list had things on it that, that read something like buy coffee stores, get Lysol toilet bowl cleaner, and get pumice stone for the toilets. I didn't even know what that was. So I had to sit down and say, Joanne, what is pumice stone for a toilet? And she told me. Mainly because my to-do list almost every day doesn't come from me. It comes from other people. My to-do list on Friday came in large part from lists of things that people needed done in the last two weeks that other people weren't able to get to. So my to-do list came from others. It came in part from the clean team which means my to-do list was not a very exciting thing to read. And that's the problem with to-do lists, isn't it? They're not very exciting. In fact, lots of the items on most of our to-do lists actually come from other people. Dentists who want us to floss. 
doctors who want us to lose a couple pounds, cut out salt and get 30 minutes of exercise every day, teachers who want us to do homework, bosses who want us to be on time and treat the customer as if he or she is always right, although frankly we all know there's a bunch of customers who are as on right as pinheads. In other words, a lot of the to-do lists that we're dealing with are not about you. They're about someone else and what someone else wants from you. So let's just be honest for a couple minutes. This is exactly why a lot of you do not have a whole lot of enthusiasm for any kind of a to-do list from God. You think it is about God's rules. You think it's about more time in church. You think that God is only interested in something called the spiritual side of you and he wants you to invest in the spiritual side at the expense of every other area of life. So here's the thing. When the Bible says that God's plan is to redeem us and create us anew so that we can do the good that he has always planned for us to do. God is talking about the you he originally made you to be. God made you, you. God is not wanting you to be someone else. He does not have a to-do list for you that pulls you away from who you are. It is who God made you to be in the first place. Why would God make you you and then give you a to-do list that isn't about you? God's plan is to make you more you than you ever imagined more you than you ever thought possible. His plan is the very best version of you. You know, I'm a fan of the TV show, The Office. Anybody else like The Office? Um, For those of you who don't know The Office, um, I know there are some pagans among us. For those of you um, who don't know The Office, the TV show The Office, the TV show The Office was about a, uh, a paper company in Scranton, Pennsylvania called Dunder Mifflin. Now, one of the best parts of the TV show was the chemistry between two of its main characters. Do you know their names? Jim and Pam. In real life, Jenna Fisher and John Krasinski. Now, here's the thing. Whenever a TV show works, it almost always works because of the chemistry between the characters. You like the characters. You like how they interact. And very often in a TV show that works, the chemistry turns out to be kind of a love interest chemistry. And the people behind the show are masters at this. They will bring them together, pull them apart, bring them together, pull them apart. 
And for three or four or five seasons, you are rooting for this couple. And every single time something goes wrong and you keep rooting and rooting and rooting for them. And that was the magic of the office. And finally, after a couple seasons, Jim and Pam, who had this chemistry together, you wanted them to get together and it took a a while, but ultimately they did. And everybody cheered and wondered where the show would go from here. Anyway... I just watched an interview this past week with Jenna Fisher, and the interviewer asked her about what everybody knows to be true about the chemistry in the show. They both acknowledged that lots of characters had chemistry, so the interviewer asked Jenna this, what is chemistry? And she said, well, lots of people think chemistry means that in real life you would like each other. You would date or fall in love, but it's not. Now, we do like each other, she said. We are friends for real. But she said this, chemistry means, get this, when I am with John on the set, chemistry means I do not have to work at being Pam." It's easy. I just am Pam. We don't have to try. On the set, I don't have to act. Chemistry makes it easy to be Pam. The interviewer said this, that's amazing. What you are saying is, get this, how much you can be yourself is dependent on who you are with. Yes, she said, that's it. So let me say that again. How much you can be yourself is dependent on who you are with. When a human being is truly with God, You are free to be more you than you ever thought possible. This is what a redeemed human being looks like. The very best version of you. The you God made you to be. The you you have always wanted to be. Free from fear free from secret sins, free from addictions, free from loneliness, free from trying so hard to please other people, free from worries about tomorrow and the cares of today, free from anger, free from bitterness, free from the disappointment that you just can't seem to get it right, free from the pain of not meeting other people's expectations, free to be more you than you have ever imagined possible, free to be God's masterpiece, his glorious, eternal, everlasting, magnificent work of art. Can you imagine anything better than that? And that is the business of the church, Sundays or not, redeemed human beings. What a privilege we have as a church to be part of the business of God, 
redeeming human lives, helping people to be more you than you ever thought possible. Let's pray. God, thank you for the reminder that you are not in the business of putting on a show every Sunday, but you're in the business of redeeming human lives. God, I pray that we would be called and engaged in what it is you want us to do. I pray, God, that over the next few weeks, you will help us to understand what it will mean for us, Sundays or not, to be engaged in the process of redeeming human lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about Horizon Church, please go to the website at horizonconnect.org. Have a great week.